Today on Hearing is Believing. There is a world outside this church building who really doesn't care that we're here this morning. There is a world outside of this church that is desperate to know what you and I know. Connecting contemporary culture to the timeless truths of God's Word. This is Hearing is Believing. If you were to take this book and open this book, you would see that it tells a story of a God who desires to be known. We would not know, no, nor could we know, who God is unless God had made himself known. He created the world as a space in which we could know him. So he created so that he would be known. And we wouldn't know that unless he told us. The heavens declare the glory of God. Now, we don't know that by merely looking at the sky. We know that the heavens declare the glory of God because God told us. The other day, the kids and I were in the yard, and we were, had a moment where we were sitting in the grass and looking up at the sky to see the clouds as they were passing by in the air. One of the clouds looked like a unicorn, and I pointed that out to my little girl. And you have to understand, my little girl, she's unicorn crazy. Everything's unicorn, unicorn blankets, unicorn uh, decorations. She flipped out when she saw that they make a unicorn cereal. I mean, she's unicorn crazy. So I looked at her. I said, look, Adelie, there's a unicorn. And she says, Dad, I see a dragon. Well, oh, well, I tried. When we have those moments where we look up into the sky, when we look at the stars, And I really hope that you have those moments where you look up every now and then. You look at them with Psalm 8 in mind. We get lost in wonder as we consider this majestic creation. And then when we consider Revelation, what God has said, it causes us to say, who am I that you're mindful of me? Who am I that you should love me. Some look at the stars and they have an existential crisis. They look and they think, oh my goodness, look at this vast universe. I am all alone in the world. But Christians, those who have received revelation, we get to look at the world and we get to say that there is a God who cares. There is a God who loves. There's a God who saves. And we know this because God has told us this. He tells us each day as the events of life unfold. He has told us in creating and in that creation, creating space by which to know us. And in that creation, listen, don't miss this. He sent his son, the eternal son, Jesus to reveal God to us. And the way that God reveals who he is to us is by sending his son to die on a cross so that he could heal our brokenness, so that he could seek and save our lostness. That's the way we get to view the world. That's the way God has taught us to view the world through giving us this treasure called Revelation, Holy Scripture. 
There is a world outside this church building who really doesn't care that we're here this morning. There is a world outside of this church that is desperate to know what you and I know. Now that we know, now that we've seen the empty tomb by our eyes of faith, now that we have seen that there is this God who loves, heals, and forgives, now that we know we have been commissioned to tell this good news of this God who loves, heals, forgives, judges evil, makes rights, makes wrongs rights, and does all. And the question is that we've been commissioned to go, how will the world who desperately needs this message know unless someone tells them? God uses our lives to tell his story. God has entrusted us with the message of eternal hope in Jesus Christ. But there's a real danger that we face. And it's a danger that I want to confront you with through God's word this morning. The danger is in, that we face is living as if none of the truths of God's amazing grace matter. You and I as Christians, we spend the real threat, we meet the real threat of spending much of our lives avoiding what God has made clear that we should be doing. I want you to think about this. God, he's God, right? He can do whatever he wants. We all agreed on that point. He can do whatever he wants. He could have written a message in the sky. Every day when the sun comes up, he could have had an angel blow a horn and declare the glory of God, but he has chosen to use weak vessels like you and I to tell the eternal realities of himself. Now that's his plan. And because we know God, it's the best plan. If there was a better way for him to accomplish his purpose, he would have done it. But he has entrusted the message of eternity to you and me. He has, he has entrusted the message of eternal destiny to us. So the question I want to ask the saints called First Baptist Church of Newnan, the question that I want to ask myself, how are we handling that message? Do we have our minds, do we have our hopes set on sharing this message? Do we have the attitude that God has in the scriptures where and as we know through him sending the self-sending of the son, the sent son, do we have this attitude that God demonstrated to go to the great lengths to save? Or have we grown cold in our sharing, cold in our telling, cold in our caring for the eternity of our friends, the eternity of our children, the eternity of our grandchildren, the eternity of our family, the eternity of our co-workers, our neighbors. What about our enemies? Should we tell them the saving message of Jesus Christ? Pastor Roshan, whose church was just blasted just a couple of weeks ago during Easter service by a suicide bomber on Easter Sunday. He lost 28 of his parishioners during the Sunday school hour, 28 members of his church gone. That's these two rows gone. Seventy, add a few more rows, wounded. He released this message. We are hurt. 
We are angry also, but still, as a senior pastor of Zion Church, Batacolo, the whole congregation and every family affected, we say to the suicide bomber and also to the group that sent the suicide bomber that we love you and we forgive you. No matter what you have done to us, we love you and we forgive you. Then he goes on and listen to what he says. This is where he gets pointed. We who follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we say for the Lord to forgive these people. How can we not forgive these people? And then he goes and he says this. People in this world are lost. We forgive others to show them the hope or the light of Christ. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to consider one of the most profound books in the Bible. You see it there on the screen. Hopefully, you'll go ahead and take the time to turn there in the book of Jonah. This book helps us consider the calling that God has placed upon every one of our lives. So find Jonah. See, I have a little cheater here. I'm going to be able to take my little thread and go right to the book of Jonah. Mine just opens there. Hopefully, yours will. But if not, if you get to the book of Ezekiel, keep going to the right, and you'll find Jonah in between Obadiah and Micah. So go to the book of Jonah. We're going to go through the whole story of Jonah this morning, and I'm going to give you four truths from every one of these chapters to demonstrate this this point. God is on a mission. Let's read the Bible, hear from God this morning in Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to read the first three verses just as a means to uh, launch us into our text. Number one, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amadi, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against us, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. And found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, as we approach this time, we pray that you would take these truths and sear them and seal them onto our hearts so that we can learn to develop what you have, a heart for lost people. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, this morning, as we consider God on mission, number one, God will pursue those whom he calls. God will pursue those he calls. Now, I want you to think about that point for just a moment. When we often think of God's pursuit, we think about God's pursuit in romantic terms. And I think that we should. It is a love story. This story of God pursuing us is a grand love story. Listen, the God of the universe cares for you. We contemporize that in our moment right now of of, uh, contemporary expression. We call it, perhaps you've heard the expression, reckless love, where this idea that God leaves the 99 and search for that lost one, and he won't give up that pursuit until that one is found. But what if God has to wreck your world? What if God has to break you down in order to build you up? What if God has to send a storm in your life to direct you back to him? What if he sends a whale 
Look at the text. Look at this in verse 4. So Jonah's he's gone away from the presence of the Lord. Look at verse 4. How long did God allow Jonah to escape his presence? Not very long, just that space between whatever space you have between verse 3 and verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. Now here we go. So that the ship threatened to break up. God is in pursuit of the one that he calls. And he is pursuing the one that he calls at any cost. He is pursuing his own mission. And he's pursuing his prophet. Think about it as Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, it says this, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Think about that passage. That passage, it both gives us comfort as we remember that God will never abandon us, he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us. Listen carefully to me, but God leaving us doesn't mean that we get to have things our own way. God is the one who saved us. God is the one who's gifted us so that you and I can serve his purposes in this world. There is nothing higher, beloved church, nothing higher than serving Jesus. As a preacher used to say, and I agree with him, if I had a thousand lives, I'd give them all to Jesus. There's nothing greater than serving Jesus. But let me tell you something else. There is nothing worse than running from God. There is nothing worse than not serving Jesus. Now, I don't know how you view God this morning. Hopefully your view of God is informed beyond what you think. Hopefully what you know about God is informed by what he has revealed to you. Hopefully your view of God is this grand. Hopefully you have this God that will pursue those that he calls, even at the point of making you and I uncomfortable if that's what's necessary. Let me tell you, Jesus is more than a savior to love. He is a king to obey. And even this sovereign God can take the tapestry of this, this man's disobedience and bring about his purpose of grace. This God who is grand can even take your disobedience and use it to weave a tapestry of, that displays his glory. Look at this. They, they go and they say they find this man sleeping in the bottom of the ship. And so they call to him and say, hey, everybody else is calling on their God. Why don't you go call on your God? Perhaps he's the one that'll save us. And then look at verse 7. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Now look at what they say to him. Tell us. On whose account this evil has come upon us? And then look at the question they ask him. What is your occupation? And that's one question that Jonah never answers. And then he said to them, I am a Hebrew. He'll answer the question, what people are you? He says, I'm a Hebrew. He's got a little nationalism about him that needs to be rooted out. I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry, and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you've done? Now, this makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Hey, Jonah, you know that God has created a sea. Hey, that's a great, go ahead and run from God by taking a boat. That makes a lot. You just confess that God is the one who made the seas. What sense does it make? These men have compassion on Jonah. Look at what happens next. 
Then he said to them in verse 11, What shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Look at verse 12. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me in the sea. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not the first thing that I would have said. You know what the solution is? Throw me overboard and everything will be just fine. But I want you to notice something. Notice what happens next. Nevertheless, verse 13, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. They had more compassion on Jonah than Jonah had on them. It's a shame when the world has lessons for the church. But that's exactly what we have here. These men have more compassion on Jonah than Jonah has on them. And then look at what happens here. So they pick him up. They throw him Or first off in verse 14, they call out to the Lord. Hopefully your Bible has a translation that has capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's called the Tetragrammaton. That's the covenant name of God, Yahweh. This is where God has made himself known to Moses saying, who will, who will I say sent me? And God says to Moses, you tell them Yahweh has sent you. I am that I am. This is the covenant name of God. And this is the name that these mariners, these sailors, they call upon this God. God has used the disobedience of Jonah to make these men become worshipers of the Lord. God will pursue those whom he calls. Where were you when God found you? How far were you when God found you from him? You and I, we could stop right here and we could have a moment of testimony where we all could tell this story a dozen different ways and a dozen different times. Maybe this is your story. Maybe you could bear witness and say, you know what? I was lost. I was heading in the opposite direction. I was disregarding God and then love found me. God came searching, seeking, and saving after me. There was a poet by the name of Francis Thomas. He described God's pursuit as the hound of heaven. Listen to what he says. Thomas said, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind and in the midst of tears. I hid from him and under running laughter of vistage hopes I sped down titanic glooms of chasm fears from those strong feet that followed, that followed after. For though I knew his love that followed, yet I was sore adread, lest having him I had not else beside. You hear that? This guy thinks that he is going to miss something if he comes to God. But Francis Thomas says, no, no, the real part of the story is, is that as he gets to the end of the poem, he says, I thought that I was pursuing love by disregarding God. But in the end, I realized that in my disregarding God, I was disregarding love. Is this your story? God will pursue those whom he calls. And beloved, he will go to do whatever it takes to win you to him. Number two, salvation belongs to the Lord. Look at what happens here in verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
Jonah, praise God, he cannot outrun the faithfulness of God. This reluctant prophet, remember, he's just confessed, I'm a Hebrew. This God that I serve is the one who made the sea and the dry land. Now God's going to prove that he's the God of the seas. He is the, this one who created the seas. He miraculously demonstrates this fact by pouring a fish and swallow, to swallow Jonah from the raging sea. Now I heard this story all through being raised as a you know, baby in the crib and mama reading stories to me. I don't know why I didn't have nightmares about this story. This is terrifying. Do you imagine a fish swallowing you? Now, I know there's some people that have problems. I don't want you to get distracted by the fish. Some people believe, they say, well, you know, the fish, it wasn't real. Beloved, if we can believe that a man walked out of the tomb after being dead for three days, what problem do we have believing that God sent a fish to swallow a man? Salvation belongs to the Lord. But I want to tell you something. This fish is not judgment. This fish is God's salvation. Maybe you heard the headlines this past week. Two Florida teenagers were stranded in the ocean for over two hours, crying out to God, praying for a miracle. They were rescued by a boat. Guess what the name of the boat, name of the boat was? Amen. <laughs> they were rescued by crying out to God, and God rescues them in a boat, and the name of the boat is Amen. It's like God is saying, are you listening? Is anybody listening? Look at the text. Despite Jonah's disobedience, look at this. Look at verse 2. I called, and he answered. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. And you heard my voice. Despite, God, uh, despite Jonah's disobedience, God delivers him. Despite Jonah telling God, no, God doesn't give up on Jonah. Jonah cries to God. God answers Jonah. Jonah learns the lesson that is repeated in the very end of the poem of chapter 2. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Listen, First Baptist, it is God's desire to save. And we are thankful for his willingness to save. Could you imagine? Thankfully, we don't have to imagine. But could you imagine if God responded to you the way that you respond to other people? In your passiveness towards sharing, towards caring. What if God responded to you the way that you treated others? I don't know about you, but I'd be in trouble. What if God treated Jonah the way that Jonah treated the Ninevites. Jonah experienced what it would have been like to really get what he wanted, 
to flee the presence of God. And in a brief moment, a moment where he was sinking down into the deep, and just as his life was slipping away, the Lord sent salvation for him just at the right time. And then with perfect clarity, look at the Bible in verse 8. In perfect clarity, Jonah comes to his senses. He felt the desperation of what it was like to be without God. Look at what he says. He, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. How terrifying to forsake steadfast love. What's the trade-off for steadfast love? What's the antonym there? Unfaithful love? Any of you husbands desire to be married to a woman who's unfaithful? Any of you men, any of you wives desire to have your husband? Make sure I cover both here. Have someone who's unfaithful? None of us do. He comes to his senses. And I want to say that what he says at the very end, and he declares it, salvation belongs to the Lord some of us here today, we have forgotten the joy of our salvation. We have forgotten that we were sinking down into the bottom of the sea of sin, helpless and hopeless until we were rescued. We were pulled from the bottom. We have this tendency, this tendency now that we've been pulled up from the bottom to, because we want to forget where we were. We want to have our eyes so fixed on glory. We forget where we were. We focus on where we're going, but at the neglect of those who, were, who, who are where we were. And we can't forget them because God didn't forget us down there. We trade the joy of salvation for the gloom of apathy. And if you're here today and your love has grown cold, you find yourself just simply going through the motions, let me encourage you. The remedy for that is to remember your deliverance. You and I did not save ourselves. You and I were not seeking after God. We were sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. But this God reached into the depths of our depravity by becoming sin for us and raising us up by entering the depths of our depravity. He raised us up to the heights of his perfection. Some of you have forgotten that. How could you forget it if you really think about it? Jesus came seeking and saving lost ones just like you and me. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Number three, God will save any and all who believe and repent. Look at this. And the Lord spoke to the fish in verse 10. Thank the Lord that fish can hear the voice of God. And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Jonah was delivered to exactly the spot that he was fleeing. God turned him in the right direction, but look at the way God turned him in the right direction. God turned him in the right direction by sending him to the bottom of the ocean and then from the bottom of the ocean through uh, the stomach of a fish. And that word there, uh, Hebrew word for vomit, you know what it's roughly translated best as? Vomit. That's what it's bestly translated as. It's meant to give this grotesque picture of this man being vomited by a fish. 
God took him and placed him exactly where he wanted him. Then look at what happens in chapter 3. After Jonah's attitude changed, after from fleeing to facing his call, from going down to Joppa to being hurled on the shores of Nineveh by the fish, God, who is always faithful, don't miss this, he comes with the same word to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. He's the God of second chances, beloved, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against the message that I tell you. And this time, Jonah goes to the city. Look at what happens here. Jonah began in verse 4 to go to the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet 40 days, Nineveh's going to be overthrown. And then look at this. And the people of Nineveh believed God. He went to the city. God used him in a mighty way. Revival breaks out across the city. So God sent Jonah, listen to this, God sent Jonah to declare judgment, but God sending Jonah to declare judgment was really an act of God's mercy. Do you see that? God sent Jonah with a message of judgment, but God sending Jonah with a message of judgment was really God's acts of mercy. And here we enter into the majestic mystery of God. Because he holds eternity in his hands and he invites us to share in this eternity. Listen to me. Some will spend an eternity departed from him, treated as if they never knew him or if if he never knew you. Think about what kind of space that must be. What kind of space this must be where the ever-present God is not present and the all-knowing God does not know. I think the best word that we can say for that kind of place is hell. That's hell. To be in a place where the all-knowing God doesn't know and to be in the space where the all-present God is not present. The difference between an eternity with God and an eternity without God, the difference between those two is faith and repentance. And the Ninevites, as pagan as they were, as wicked and as vile as they were, they were able to receive salvation, listen, by hearing a message, believing that message, and repenting of that message. This revival in the gates of the capital city of the enemy of God's people chooses to teach us the same lesson that we sing the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. God will save any and all who believe and repent. And I just want to ask this church this morning, I want to ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that God will save any and all who repent? What if it was just that easy? What if it was just that easy to tell someone? Just tell someone. Look at the links that God has done to bring the message of salvation to a people, causing the storm, causing the fish, putting up with this prophet who we're going to see in just a minute in chapter 4, this prophet who gets angry at God and God deals with him. What if it was that easy? Just open your mouth and tell somebody to know that you're not on a mission. God's on a mission. You get to join with him on that mission. He is seeking and saving lost ones. Listen to me. God is more ready to save than you and I are to share. But how will they hear 
without someone telling them. God's chosen us to be his witnesses. And he will save any and all who believe and repent. I want to take you into chapter 4. And I would love to be able to end right at chapter 3. I really would. Man, we just left a great revival. The city of Nineveh, you know, they go from worshiping Baal to worshiping uh, Yahweh. I would love to end it there, but we can't do that. God knows how often our hearts need to thaw. And so he gives us chapter 4. And he ends the entire book with an unanswered question. A question that's left for us to answer. Point number four this morning. Salvation is an act of God's compassion. Look at chapter four. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. What? I thought you just had great success, man. The whole city's, even the king had said, hey, go even make the the cows not eat. We're all going to fast. You should be excited. Jonah gets angry. He needs another lesson. It's almost like we're back to the Jonah from chapter 1. Though this time, instead of getting on a boat, he found out that doesn't work. Instead of being vomited by a whale, because he found out that that doesn't work to try to flee from God's presence, he takes his complaint right to God and he says, I knew this would happen. I knew. Because look at what happens here in verse um, uh, 2. I knew that you were a gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. And then he says this, now, Lord, just take my life. It's better for me to die than to see these people repent and believe. Just take my life, Lord. Get me out of here. Jonah's read his Torah. He knows that God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And the reason that he fled to Tarshish was because he thought that the people of Nineveh were not worth saving. He knew that God sending him was an act of compassion for lost people. And so he decided to flee. Now, before we're too hard on Jonah, I wonder how often you and I are guilty of the same. Guilty of association by our silence. Now let's put it in perspective. Remember this. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And so God calling Jonah to Nineveh would have been like calling a Jew to go to Berlin to preach, to preach repentance to Nazi Germany in the year 1938. Now such an act is not outside the bounds of God's compassion But if we're honest this morning, such an act would push us to our limits. And God's call often pushes us to our limits. But thankfully, God is above our limits. Jonah, he wants destruction, not deliverance. He wants judgment, not salvation. And so after his preaching tour, he flees the city, sets up a shelter, and he waits for the fire to fall. God, who's patient with the pagans, also is patient with his prophet. And so he teaches him another lesson. Listen to the Bible here, beginning in verse 3. Oh, Lord, please take my life. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, sat at the east, and made a booth for himself. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now look at the Lord's action here in verse 6. The Lord appointed a plant. 
and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. What a God. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun arose, God appointed scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die, and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But listen to what God says to Jonah. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, yeah, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who you do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? The book ends with a question. A question for you and I to consider the 120,000 people in Calvary County that don't even care that we're here this morning. In this city, the message this morning could not be clearer. God is on a mission to seek and save the lost ones. That mission has reached me. And right now, that mission has come to you. So the question this morning is, will you flee from this message Will you flee from this God who's on mission or will you embrace it? And be careful. If you want to flee, be careful for the storm. Be careful for this hound of heaven that will hunt you down. Be careful for this God who will relentlessly pursue you at all costs. One final word before we leave this text. Jesus used Jonah to teach us about his own life. Jesus is God's mission. Jesus came on a mission for you and for me. Where Jonah was reluctant, Jesus did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Where Jonah fled the will of God, Jesus prayed, not my will but thine. Where Jonah was sleeping in the boat due to fear, Jesus slept in peace of being fully in control of all events. Where the lot fell on Jonah to save a few, the lot fell on Jesus to save all who believe and repent. Where Jonah was willing to give his life to save the sailors, Jesus gave his life to save whosoever. Where Jonah was saved by a fish, Jesus was crushed by a cross. Where Jonah was kept alive three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, Jesus was dead and buried in a cold, dark tomb. Where Jonah was delivered from the belly to dry ground, Jesus was delivered from death to life. Where Jonah preached repentance, Jesus calls his followers to make disciples. Where great revival broke out in a pagan city called Nineveh, Jesus has said to this church, greater things are still to be done in this city. Where Jonah was concerned with his own interests, Jesus' interests were you and me. The same God who sent Jonah sent a much better Jonah named Jesus. 
This God is a God on a mission, a mission of seeking and saving lost ones like you and me. And the question that I have before you today is, do you know this Jesus? Don't run from him. Turn to him. Hear him calling you. Respond to his free grace. For some, that will mean that you come to him for the first time in faith as you repent of your sins and say, Jesus, I've been running from you, but I trust you. Others of you, it will mean that you turn from the coldness of your heart towards going through the motions, through not caring for our loved ones and saying, you know what, God? I'm going to quit fleeing from you. I'm going to get involved with what you're doing. God is on a mission. And part of that mission includes me and you. Will we, will you, Will I join him on that mission? Father in heaven, we thank you for such a moment. We thank you for such a God who's on mission. Now, Father, take these truths, seal them to our hearts, transform our lives, save the lost, awaken the sleeping saint. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, You're listening to Hearing is Believing. For more information or to contact us, please visit hearingisbelieving.org.